Welcome to the Experience Christian Church Message Podcast. We are a church startup based out of Exton, Pennsylvania, committed to giving the community a fresh start with God and with church. Our mission is to help people experience God's love in a practical way. We would love to connect with you. Would you text ECC info to 94000 or go to our website, experiencecc.org for more information and to learn how you can be a part of our community. Enjoy today's message. Good morning, friends. Good to see you today. If you're joining us online, thanks for being a part of this service as well. We're glad you're with us. And so I want to start off with just a quick question. And I want you to think for a moment, what is your favorite precious material possession? What is your favorite material possession? Do you want to share it out loud? That's fine. What's yours? The Bible. The Bible. Boom. Good points there. Excellent. We'll go one more because that's hard to top. That's really hard to top. Yes. Uh, All right. Good. There's all kinds of good stuff. Well, we asked this question on Wednesday, and we got a good a selection of answers, but I'll share mine with you. Mine is this ring right here. Uh, some of you have heard me talk about this before. This is my grandfather's wedding ring, and uh, him and I have a lot of history together with this ring, and I would sit next to him growing up. He lived next door to me, and I would sit next to him either on the front porch or on his lawn or sometimes in his living room, and he would just take it off. He would fidget it, fidget with it, and he would clean it like this in his shirt. He'd put it back on. And I watched him do this for 17 years as he remained a widower. And it was just really special to spend that time with him. A few months before I married Carrie, I asked him, I'm like, Granddad, I've seen you take this ring off and I've seen you fidget with it. Does it cause you to think of grandmother? And I don't know if he heard the question exactly as I said it, but he said, yeah, I miss her every day. And for me, this is just a fantastic item, not because of its monetary worth, but its emotional, its sentimental worth. Yesterday, I performed a wedding down in Maryland, and I take this ring, and I wear it to every wedding I do, and if I get an opportunity, I sat with the groom, and I just talked about that story, and I said, you're about to get your own ring, and what a legacy you can set as you move forward in life. It's an opportunity to think about the things we treasure, right? We asked this question on Wednesday night, and it was a great response as someone said, I have my, my dad's old robe, and sometimes I wear it. Another person said, I have my mother's shoes, and I like to wear them. Someone else said, I have my father's hunting rifle. And you just had these stories of the most precious element that these people had, and they weren't connected to this rich monetary value. It was connected to a person. And it gives us a chance to see what is most precious. Precious is defined as an object, substance, or resource of great value, not to be wasted or treated carelessly. If, I wanted, if you wanted to offend me, take this ring and just throw it. Take this ring and step on it. Take this ring and do something, not because of its worth, but because of the value I hold. Don't treat it badly. I came across another example of what's precious. There was a viral video that was passed around, and it was this, a leader named Brad Lee. I don't know him well. I just saw this video. Scroll itself through. He was on a leadership podcast, and he was in this discussion with these panelists, and it was a business podcast, so he asked them the question, if I were to offer you both $1 million in cash, how would you feel? And they said, we would be excited. We would be so good. He goes, so I guess you'd be in a good mood. He goes, oh yeah, we'd be in a good mood. And he goes, I guess nothing would tear apart that bad mood for a while, right? And he's like, that's correct. And then he posed this question, well, what if we upped it to $10 million each? 
and I gave you that money, but you wouldn't wake up tomorrow. Would you take it? And they're, yeah, right? Head shaking. No, that's what they said. They're like, no. And he goes, well, what you just saw was tomorrow and going to tomorrow has a value of $10 million. And so nothing would take your joy if I gave you a million dollars now. Why does your joy disappear knowing that you may have the gift of tomorrow? And it's funny, when we start thinking about what we would want, the things that we would treasure, a lot of times they drift towards natural possessions. But when we hear these kind of questions, these thought-provoking questions, it gives us a whole different aspect on what is treasure. And today we're going to look at what God treasures through the teaching of Jesus, and we'll get a chance to wrestle with some of these concepts. If you have your Bible, you can go to Matthew 6. We're going to spend a lot of time in there this morning, in Matthew 6, 19 to 21, is where we'll first start. Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. Again, treasures are the things our heart gives great value to. And what God is asking us to do is, as we're thinking about treasure, to align how we see treasure the way God sees treasure. And how does God see treasure? He sees treasure in things that last for eternity. Things like us, things like others, and the relationship that we carry on into eternity. Jesus first says what not to prioritize in this life. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. And so Jesus is basically saying, don't be consumed with things that don't last. If you were an 80s kid, you came across this quote, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? And you remember seeing that, and it would get you to maybe chuckle a little bit about that. We see Jesus fights that wisdom by saying, hey, do not focus on those things that you cannot take into eternity. He says, you can think about those things, you can care about those things, just make sure you're not treasuring, holding those things most precious. And that's why in verse 20, he says, store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. There he tells us to focus on the treasures that you'll find in heaven. Again, these treasures are people, souls, things that last forever. The things we do here that prepare us for that. Having a long vision of thinking about the things that aren't temporal gives us a completely different mindset. You know, we start, we, we lose our obsession over the things that we can have and that we get rid of quickly. When we view eternity, it completely shifts our view of treasure. There was a <clears throat> Rick Warren, he wrote the book Purpose Driven Life, and this eternal mindset he had pretty strong in there. He says, this life is not all there is. Life on earth is just the dress rehearsal before the real production. You will spend far more time on the earth, on the other side of death and eternity than you will here. Earth is the staging area, the preschool, the tryout for your life in eternity. It's the practice workout before the actual games, the warm-up lap before the race begins, this life is preparation for the next. And isn't that just a great reminder to think about that? Yesterday was a, um, a wedding, but Thursday I was able to attend a funeral. It was the funeral of Mr. Adger, Ralph Adger. He's Marvin's father that you may know, and we want to be praying for the Adger family as they continue to grieve. But I'll tell you, when I was at that funeral, you got a chance to hear someone who had their value in treasures that go into eternity. Here were three things I heard consistently from people who walked up front and shared their tribute to this great man. One was, he was always there for us 
in the community. He was a father figure, a pillar for everyone that lived near him. Another person said, he came to my father's funeral. And as I was grieving, he put his arm around me and he says, I can be your dad now. And they said, and he did. And it wasn't an empty commitment. And as they shared their tribute, they said, this guy got it. One person after another, the aisles were full of people who just shared loving words and who he was. This phrase kept coming up over and over again. It says, he would tell me he was so proud of me. Some of you were at that funeral service with me. To call someone and say, I'm proud of you. I believe in you. That's an eternal investment, isn't it? Because you completely change the trajectory of somebody's life when they think they don't have to be a slave to fear. They can see themselves as a child of God having great worth and value, and they can achieve their purpose. And so we get this, don't we? We understand what's precious. We know in our minds, like, okay, not to focus on things that last, not to just go after the next car payment or the next house payment or whatever it is that's next. We understand this cognitively, but we find ourselves continually drawn to the worries and the concerns of this day, earthly material. Jesus says, don't treasure a car that's going to rust out more than the person next to you. Don't treasure the house you live in more than the neighbors next door that he called you to love. Don't only invest in your retirement years, invest in eternity. And Jesus didn't say those things literally, but he did say those things when he said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he gives this declaration, he goes, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. I love how John Ortberg says it. He says, Jesus doesn't say this to make us feel bad. He's just stating the way things are. We know this. Our hearts are drawn to the things that we obsess over. And what John also encourages us to do, he says, being a follower of Jesus requires cultivating the kind of heart. In other words, this isn't the automatic place of our heart. We have to cultivate this kind of heart that Jesus had for people, especially the poor, the hungry, those without power those who are victims of injustice. It means extending our love and support regarding the church through helping lost people hear about and embrace the good news of the gospel of Christ. We must be Christ's hands and feet in treasuring all human beings. To treasure all human beings is the greatest commandment, isn't it? God had summoned all the commands in the Old Testament that could be pretty burdensome in this way, to love God and to love others. When you think about it, rules communicate value. The rules we hold on to reveal what we hold most precious. Always tell the truth is a big value in our household. It's always tell the truth. That's probably our pinnacle biggest value because we would rather deal with the hard things relationally, right? If you commit to tell the truth, then you're going to have to say, hey, I violated something of yours. I took the last. I ate the last thing. I said that. And then you have to do the hard work of reconciling by saying, I forgive you. And this is good. And we, we get to see these in rules. It's not truth that just ultimately, yes, it matters, but it's what it does to people when we don't tell the truth. It's when we hold truth that hurts. Uh, kids, you're in the room today. What's some of the rules that you have in your house? You can raise your hand. What's a rule that you have? Any rule? Any rule at all? Yes, what's a rule? That's right. Pack your lunch from the bin.
That's right. You want to make sure you pack something in the bin. My guess is in the bin isn't all candy. Is that accurate? It's probably not just full of sugary stuff, right? It's probably got some healthy stuff, some good things. That's it. Applesauce, healthy. It's good. Yeah, what's one of your rules? Don't talk back. Yeah. What's that? Communicate respect, right? Yeah. Clean up after yourselves. That's right. How does that help the family? Because, you know, I don't like tripping over somebody else's stuff, right? That's right. Makes it safe. Makes it clean. Yes, sir. Which one of your rules? Don't stand on what? Oh, yeah. Don't stay on the bus. Don't stay on the school. <laughs> Get off that thing. That's right. You ever saw somebody take a nap on the school bus and they wake up a little scared? Not happy. <laughs> I had a friend do that. That's a good rule. Anybody have this rule? Don't jump on stuff. Don't jump on your bed. Don't jump on the couch. Anybody have that rule? Mm-hmm. That shows a little value of uh, stuff, right? The rule I hate it, don't eat on the couch. <laughs> oh, that was a hard one. <laughs> Sometimes I did it when dad wasn't home. <laughs> But we know a rule points to a value. It points to protection. It points to love. And so God is, all of God's love and laws point towards loving him and loving others. Jesus goes on. He says, the eye is like a lamp that provides light for the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Your eyes must be focused on the right prize is what Jesus is saying. Keep your eyes focused on things that matter, things that are worth it. Jesus is saying the same thing a couple of ways here. In healthy eyes, they understand what God wants and sees the world as God sees it, not our default, right? If you think about how darkness functions, um, you could just put it practically, when we, our eyes give us light, we can see how to navigate the dangers of life, the toils of life. But when our eyes are full of darkness, we just can't see. And so at night, if you've tried to make your way to the restroom, this, this is what happened to your toes sometimes, boom, or boom, right? You ever had that happen? The corner of your bed, <laughs> and then the corner of the wall, you just feel a lot of pain. We don't navigate the obstacles of life. And what's interesting is the obstacle that Jesus identifies is sometimes the way we see the world and the way we see things that matter. One of the scariest Proverbs I would, could recall growing up was Proverbs 14, 12, and it says, there is a path before each person that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. Have you heard that proverb before? Because what that's scary about that is means you just can't trust your gut. You can't trust your gut that you know the way to go. That's why Jesus is saying it takes work to recalibrate our hearts. And he ends this section with this word. He goes, no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Isn't that an interesting choice of enemies to, to name here? Because you can't serve both God and money. You think it would be do not serve both God and the devil. You can't serve God and fill in some blank. But what he identifies here is money. He says you're going to love one and hate the other. If you look at, um, I, I heard this statement the other day, a minister said, and it's one of those things you read online, so maybe it's true, but he said, a minister said, I get so tired of hearing Christianity always talk about giving, giving, giving. And he said, I don't know that I've heard a better representation of Christianity because we are called to give, give, give. We're called to think about others. We're called to give generously. 
to not just look after our own good, but those that need it. And so that description is actually pretty good. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Giving is in our DNA. Giving is the way we approach the world. And when you hear that kind of message and you look at your stuff as mine and God says, give, you might not use the word, I hate God, <laughs> but maybe that's how you feel. It's like, I hate how God wants me to live generously. And so God says, you're going to have to pick your master. Is it God or money? I wish money wasn't that big of a deal, but we know that it is. Few things cause us more anxiety and fear than money. We sang that song earlier. The American Psychological Association reports that 72% of adults feel stressed about money. A third of couples report that money is a major source of conflict in a relationship. This isn't a new thing. It's been this way the whole time. You may wonder, how much does God talk about money? A full 10% of the verses in the Gospels are about money. 16 of Jesus' 38 parables address money and possessions. In all the scriptures, there are over 2,300 verses in the Bible on money, but only 500 on prayer and fewer on faith. Money gives us the opportunity to envision building a life void of God's provision. Money gives us the opportunity to think, I can get money and make my life as I want it, as opposed to seeing God. And what we're talking about today is the last G, which talks about giving. I want to read a quote, what the French sociologist Jean Baudrillard has made the point that in the Western world, materialism has become the new dominant system of meaning. He argues atheism hasn't replaced cultural Christianity. Shopping has. We now get our meaning in life from what we consume. We get our identity from the things we buy or sell. Most of us would never admit it, but a lot of us believe the saying, I am what I buy, or more realistically, I am what I wear, or the brand of my phone, or the car I drive, or the neighborhood I live in, or the gadget I flaunt. For a lot of people, things aren't just things, they're identities. Shopping is now the number one leisure activity in America, usurping the place previously held by religion. Amazon.com is the new temple. The visa statement is the new altar. Double-clicking is the new liturgy. Lifestyle bloggers are the priests and priestesses. Money is the new God. Maybe you're offended by that, and maybe you think that's the strong language, but I think it echoes what Jesus had said. You can't serve two masters. Is it God or money? I want you to think about this in the context of our final week of this series, whatever. We've used Colossians 3.17 as our anchor verse, and it says, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him, to God the Father. When it comes to our treasures, it involves our time, our talent, and our treasures, right? Those are the things that we can control. Whatever you do has an impact on, do we use those, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, as a representative of the Lord Jesus? Some ways we look at this is, okay, here's 10 pages of paper, right? You may have grown up thinking that, okay, God wants a tenth of that, right? Here's a tenth. Some of you come from that tradition. There's a tenth. That's God's. 90% is mine. I get to deal with it as I want. What you have to understand is Colossians 3.17 reminds us that it's all God's. Every single thing. And everything I do with every bit of part of it matters to God. And it needs to have a kingdom vision. When you talk about church and money, it gets complicated because people say church just wants your money, right? (laughs) 
So let me tell you, that's not true. God wants all your money. <laughs> but God wants you to use all your money in a wise and creative way. He wants you to lose the mindset that you can do something with your money that doesn't involve him. When my children have money and they buy themselves a snack and don't share it, I'm offended, especially when they don't share it with me. <laughs> I want to see them make good choices. I want to see them say that they love and they care for one another. So I want you to think about 1 Timothy, or I'm sorry, Colossians 3.17, whatever we do, that's the mindset that we look into this. It's all God's, so what do we do? But I also want to challenge you to think about using a portion of that for direct kingdom impact, which is the way that you give to God your time and your talent. If you have the resources to give that to the local church, that's exceptionally helpful because that's kingdom vision. But I want you to be clear, it doesn't mean giving it all. You can give too much time. You can give too much money. I don't know if you've heard a church say that before, but I've seen, and if you've been volunteers in church before, you can see where wives will say, and kids will say, and best friends will say, I never see you anymore because you're always at the church. You may hear someone say, hey, all they ever talk about, they want money. If you give so much money here that you're bumming money off your friends for lunch, they probably don't think much of you and Jesus, do they? <laughs> if you are always, if you can't actually go out to eat and say, hey, let me pick up the tab tonight because you're so tight financially, that's not how God wants you to live. God cares about how you treat your neighbor, how you treat other people. And so what I want to do is have you exhale a little bit and just say, how does God want us to think about our money? <coughs> And this is one of those verses I lean up to. This deserves a whole series, but I want you to think about your possessions through this lens when it comes to treasures. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19 concludes with that verse, but I want to break it into three sections. The first part is, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Here, this echoes perfectly what Jesus has said. You have Jesus as the foundation. You look at the generosity of God. He wants to have all that we need, right? You see, trust in the money, which is unreliable. Don't do that. Trust in God, who richly gives us everything that we need. If you're a part of a church and your need isn't met, it might be a humbling thing to ask, but allow the church to meet your needs, right? A church community exists to help meet needs. Maybe not once, but needs. God wants you to have, experience joy in life. He wants you to have the understanding that your needs are met. But many of us, we actually fit into that first category of folks that are rich. We're rich if we have excess. We're rich if we live in the United States. We're rich if we have some excess, some material, some leftover. So now we're challenged, what do we do with it? And that's verse 18. He says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. You don't have to give all your money away, but use your money like Jesus would, for good. Have fun with it. Do good things. Be generous. Be willing to share with others. I've admitted this before, and I'm sorry that I, if it's a spiritual discipline, me not to do that. Some of you are shallow like me. When I get a brand new pack of gum, sometimes I secretly open the pack so I don't have to give all 19 pieces away. Does anybody do that? Thank you. It's all the kids. It's me and the kids in the room intuitively hide our gum from other people. If you see me pull out an open pack, it's a spiritual discipline to be giving and sharing. But it's important to have that mindset of what I have isn't just mine, it's mine to share. And it's humorous with gum, but it's sad when it's dollars. Because sometimes we look at our dollars that way. 
And 19, here's the kicker. He says, by doing this, they will store up treasures. Excuse me. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. The things that matter, kingdom things. I want to invite you to consider giving financially to the mission of experience. Our mission is to help everyone experience God's love in a way that impacts eternity. You can do this in a few ways by giving time and talent and treasures. But I want you to understand that you can give too much. So do this with wisdom, with discernment. A little bit of our history, the church started in 2019 because of the generosity of others who believed that this area needed the church. We went and prayed and sought God in that and saw his direction. So he said, do this. And so ultimately, funds were raised to begin this church. People who've never attended here committed to give the first four years so that that burden wasn't on anyone local. And as we continue to establish a local church, the idea is as God helps people see generously how to give, that they're able to give. Different amounts, different things, different times. When we first started the church, we had people come in to serve. We didn't have local people to do anything, set up, music, all those things. And so people have an opportunity to give this way as well. When you invest in this community, you get a chance to help other people grow with their relationship with Jesus. As a church, we think we should be giving corporately. Everything that we do corporately, we think you should do individually. And everything you do individually, we believe the church should do. So from the very beginning, everything that came in, we give 10% out the door. That's our standard. We do at least that. So I had our bookkeeper look at our stats Together as a community, we've given $82,000 in missions. They went to Stadia Church Planning, Westchester Area School District, the Peacemaker Center for Mental Health, Ukraine, Meal Packing, Westchester Food Cupboard. If you want to know where any dollar spent, let us know. Be glad to share it because it's our resources. Matt Silver doesn't make the decision how we spend our money. Our leadership team does. If it's a single person making that decision, that's scary. But together, we make those decisions. I'll say with confidence that when you invest in ECC, you're investing in treasures in heaven. But let me say this, when it comes to a gift from experience, you've heard this, you can give in this series with bad motives, right? Giving can be used in awkward ways for God. And I want to make sure you understand what God says about giving. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he says, you must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. I want you to read that verse one more time. You must decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. The wrong reasons to give to God is to feel good about yourself, to feel how generous you are. You know, Jesus pointed out a couple people, one were giving a tithe, and they were making a lot of noise as they were dropping things in the bucket. An elderly woman went, and she put two coins in. It was everything she had. And Jesus says, that woman gave out of her, out of goodness, not out of extra. And so we know God loves it for the right reasons. Second is don't give to appease God, to try to get him off his back. Okay, God, here's your 10%. Here's mine, or here's what I'm giving you today. Understand that that's not what we give to God, to pacify him. We get excited about what his kingdom work is doing how it impacts others, how it brings people together, the mission. Don't give God a gift to restore relationship. I've seen people say, I messed up this week, I'm giving extra. That's not how that works. (laughs) You don't have to give extra because you messed up this week. 
Jesus gave everything. We never give to get right with God, ever, ever, ever. Jesus gave everything. Our relationship with him is based on Jesus' sacrifice. We give because we're thankful and we love Jesus. We also don't give to manipulate God. If I give this week, I think he'll answer my prayers this week. That's not how any of that works. Our giving is an expression of our love for him and others. Again, Paul says, you must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. When we give to God, we're saying, everything I have comes from you. Here's a portion back. So a lot of people do wonder, how much should I give? What's the frequency? How much? And so I want to let you know that in the Bible, you'll see something called a tithe. It's 10%. That's found in the Old Testament. That's not commanded in the New Testament. So I want you to understand for some, that is a helpful goal. When you look at your finances because of where you're at financially, 10% may not make sense right now. It may be too big of a stretch. It may put too, things, too much in things in peril. Some of you may say, by faith, I'm going to try that and see what God does. That's between you and God. But what you don't do is you don't give that amount because you feel guilty or you feel compelled to. If you believe God has called you to take that step, do it. But you could also look at a percentage. I tell folks our, our verse that's back, where is our, there it is, Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, 8. That verse is wants people to experience God's goodness. It's attached to our mission. So maybe consider just giving. If you've never given, hey, I'm going to start giving. Maybe do 34.80. Maybe do $348 at whatever frequency you feel, just to get the exercise and habit of giving started. I use a Bible app that asks for donations. I give them $3.48 a month because that's our theme verse. Because something matters, right? We get a chance to do that. For others, maybe you're thinking, I want to start a percentage. I'm going to do 1%, 2%. See what God does. And maybe I'd like to grow that to 10% one day. That's great. For us, we had the habit of 10% ever since I was started. So all our finances just kind of navigated that way. 10% for me represents a starting point. 10% isn't the checklist mentality where you're like, okay, I'm giving 10%. Now I'm good. The rest is mine. No, the New Testament is God loves a cheerful giver. And when you look around, how many needs do you see? Lots. I use the illustration of Rick Warren. It's uncomfortably huge because he's a reverse tither. He gives 90% away and lives on 10. That's pretty wild to think about. But here's what he did when he started selling those books. He got a huge amount of income. And he said, you know what? Him and his wife, Kay, said, we're not going to change our lifestyle. Our lifestyle's great. So we're going to keep our lifestyle, and we're going to take that excess and use it for huge ministry areas. And Google it, watch his interview. He has ministries for AIDS, homelessness, education. It's great. But he sees everything he has as God's, not as, okay, God, what can you do with this percentage? Again, that's not to pressure you. That's to give you an idea of what praying this kind of prayer. God, how much do I give when that comes to my heart? How much do I deal with this? Here is wise words I found from C.S. Lewis about this. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. In other words, it's going to be a tension you'll always wrestle with. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditures on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. If our giving does not at all pinch and hamper us, I should say that they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our giving excludes them. I think that's helpful. 
you know, maybe if you didn't serve here, you would have a little bit more time. What could you do? You probably have a solution. If you didn't give here, what could you do with those extra resources? You probably have something. Carrie and I remember one time we were joking around. We're like, how does everybody in our neighborhood have a gym membership? <laughs> and we're like, oh, we don't have a gym membership because we can't afford it. <laughs> and we give. And it's not a guilty thing. It's just that's a want. It's not a need. There's that little bit of a pinch there. That's a realistic example. But I want to tell you one last thing is you decide in your heart what God wants to do to advance the kingdom. But if it's not here, find a place to give it. This story isn't pointing you towards, man, make sure you're giving to experience, give to experience, give to experience. It's great if you do. But if you don't buy into the mission and vision yet, and ask some questions. But find a place to place your resources for kingdom value, because those are the things that change. The act of discipline, not seeing it all as mine, but opening my hand saying, God, do something with this, does amazing things. Two quick stories that I'll tell succinctly. Before we started this church, I had never not had a paycheck from the time I was 18. As 18, I worked retail. I worked retail. I was offered a job to go to a different retail place. I was offered a job to work at a church. I was offered a job to work at another church, a church, a church. I've never had to step out of my own in faith wondering if God's going to provide. And as we were looking at church planning, we realized this is a new venture where we wouldn't see funds. Then I went to meet with somebody and just told them to pray about what was happening. And without any bent of, can you take care of this? And the next day he called me back and he handed me a check that was three quarters. Well, actually it was just large. It was a check that almost covered my salary for the year. And then someone else said, hey, I wanted to give you a gift. It wasn't quite that succinctly. One was right away. The other was about two weeks later. But because of my faith and knowing how I was worrying about it, God provided that. Talk to people who've made the habit of giving, and they just have stories where God provides. And what I'm afraid you'll miss out is the faith aspect, if you don't have a habit of giving, of how God blesses you through your giving. It's not a blessing that may always counter back. And you may have heard a gospel that says, if you give, God's going to make it tenfold. I haven't seen that consistently play out. But what I have seen is, is when you give, your needs are met and you hear God-sized stories. And again, if that's not here, just know you can do it somewhere and see God's hand at work. The other thing equally as important as the financial commitment was when we were in the church planning phase right before we did it, Someone shared with me, Matt, I I saw a vision. I wanted you to know that I saw you preaching in front of folks. And I didn't know what to necessarily think of it. But that word was as valuable as that check. Does that make sense? Another person said, Matt, I just want you to know that we think you're called to play in a church. That encouragement was worth as much as a check. So never wonder Well, if I don't have money, I can't contribute to the kingdom. No, your giving is just as valuable. Rather, it's financially, your time, your treasure, your talents. This whole process is getting a heart of giving because God says it's better blessed to give than to receive. And I want you to see that blessing, friends. Thanks for being a part of this series. I want you to just spend the next two minutes reflecting on maybe it's something in this series that you've really wrestled with that you want just God to bring to your mind again. Just a quick reminder of what this series was. We started off with the idea of grace. Grace is the foundation for every one of these topics. Grace is the acknowledgement and understanding that we don't earn our relationship with God by 
doing all these checkmark things. We accept God's goodness. We accept his grace. Grace is a gift, and everything we do in our spiritual relationship with him goes back. We then had growth was our next G. Growth means we develop habits that help us grow to be more like Jesus. We don't try real hard to be like Jesus for a day. No, we say, by doing these patterns, I can become more like Christ. <coughs> After growth was groups. We commit to be a community that cares for one another, loves one another, encourages us on this journey of following Jesus faithfully. Then last week was gifts. We said we have gifts to use to advance the kingdom, and today was about giving. So if this has prompted a conversation you want to have, like, hey, can we meet for coffee? Can we meet for breakfast, talk through any of these? I would love to do that. <coughs> if you have any questions about giving, where does money go? What do we do? <coughs> would love to meet with you and talk about that too. Friends, this is a community we're building for the purpose of helping people experience God's love. <coughs> Sorry. Let's pray together. <coughs> God, thank you so much for all that you've done. I pray you'll meet us in this space. You'll meet us at this time. And you'll help us to become more like you. Speak to us now, Lord. Call and bring to our attention a particular habit or practice you'd like us to focus on. <coughs> Maybe in this season, you need to reflect on God's grace, his goodness. Maybe in this season, you need to think about Habits that you can use to grow your faith. Maybe you're thinking about friendships you need to have. Maybe opportunities to serve or give. Whatever God brings to mind, write that on that sheet there that says, Today I Experienced. Reflect on that. God, bring those things to our mind. We love you and we're thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope something you heard today will draw you closer to God and encourage you to know him better. If you found this message podcast helpful, please subscribe, write a review, and consider sharing it with someone else. If there is anything we can do for you, a question we could talk through with you, a prayer we could say on your behalf, or a need you have, please don't hesitate to let us know. We are better together. Please connect with us soon. Take care.